0: Hi, I'm Jeffrey. Welcome back to Nightfalls. Come, settle in for tonight's calming meditation and soothing bedtime story. As always, don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. You can drift off whenever you're ready. Come, get cozy and warm your hands by the fireside. I've told many tales about the wonders of nightfalls across this campfire. But tonight... If you'll listen, I'd like to tell you a story from a different time and place entirely. I'd like to tell you of the stories that shaped me. The Scottish folklore that has been kept alive by word of mouth for thousands of years. I'd like to tell you of the night that I first began sharing those stories and, indeed, that chapter of my past, with Devani. Before we begin, here's a quick word from our sponsors, who make this free content possible. In just two taps on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. Before we begin, perhaps you might enjoy a little time to wind down from the day. Begin by stretching out your arms and legs, however feels best for you. Send your attention to the muscles and joints that need it the most, gently easing into them as you ease yourself into relaxation. Feel the stress and strain of the day ebbing out of your body, as you enjoy a final full-body stretch. Breathe in deeply, and allow your lungs to open up, and expand into that stretch, along with the rest of your body. As you exhale, come to settle in a comfortable position, let your eyes drift closed, and take a moment to bathe in the quiet of the night. Lying there relaxing, centre your attention on the sound of your breath drifting ever so effortlessly in and out. Try not to disturb the natural rhythm of it. Simply tune into it as you take some time now to settle back into your body after another long day. Now, draw a deep breath in and allow the quiet of the night to flow into you on the rolling tide of your in-breath. As you exhale, release the chaos of the day. Breathe in the stillness of this moment alone, all to yourself. And as you exhale, perhaps you find yourself feeling a little lighter. With every cycle of your breath, you grow lighter and lighter still. As the weight of the day washes away from you, it feels almost as though you're floating Drifting easily across the surface of the lake in nightfalls, perhaps. Just as Devani and I do in tonight's tale. Now, if you're feeling ready, our story can begin. It's a funny thing, the mind Even funnier are the thoughts that fill it, colouring every moment and giving character to each word we breathe out into the world. In the scheme of things, I hadn't known Devani long, but I knew more about her and indeed had shared more of myself with her than I ever had with anyone else. Perhaps then the passage of time was not enough to prove proximity to a person. For that evening, having known her no more than half a year, I found that I wanted not only to know Divani's own story word for word, from every comma to the very last ellipses that denoted her present moment. I also wanted to know every story she had ever been told. I rather think it's the stories that I was told growing up, the ones with meanings and morals I've never been able to shake, that are responsible for the man I've grown into. Tries I might have when doing sums or learning spellings at school. I never remembered the answers correctly on the first try. The details of a good story, however, always seem to stitch themselves into my memory. My grandfather didn't have to tell me the tale of the Loch Ness monster twice nor that of the Kelpies, or Fingal's Cave. I would never forget what became of the Nine Maidens of Dundee, or the tale of the Currie and Whirlpool. Those tales, that folklore my grandfather made sure to pass on to me as a boy, I would take with me to the playground, to trade with my friends most of whom had stories of their own to tell me. The sun was almost set that night when I asked Lyra if she might like to join Devani and I in the rowboat for a gentle lap around the lake. Lyra had insisted time and time again that she preferred to have her feet planted firmly on land And that evening, much to our amusement, she responded no differently to our invitation. I sometimes like to imagine Lyra with roots growing from her feet and deep into the earth in nightfalls, for she often seemed just as rooted to land herself as the very plants she used to make potions. Lyra ran her hand through the tangle of her hair and called out for Otto, motioning for him to follow her as she made her way back to her cottage in the clearing below. As Otto bounded off ahead of our friend, through the ravine and towards the jar of treats she kept on the mantle for him, I pulled the boat down the beach and helped Devani into it. By the time I had pushed the boat into the water and waded out to meet her, she was already sitting up front, captain and commander of the vessel, no doubt. The sun gave way to the stars and the sky began to glitter with their light once more. I rowed us out to the centre of the lake, watching the water make way for my oars over and over again, until we dropped anchor. As our boat came to a stop, the water stilled around us, and we sat quietly side by side, watching as the dark of night doused itself across the clearing. The darkness deepened, but the stars seemed only to get brighter. And after a time, they began to glitter against the glassy surface of the lake. That night, It was almost as though we were drifting through the night sky itself, on our little rowboat. The stars shone above and beneath us, as the night reeled on. For all the beauty of that moment, there was nothing, not the moon. Nor the stars that could tear my attention from Devani for too long. So I waited. I watched her watching the world from the corner of my eye, and tried my hardest to make it seem as though I wasn't watching her at all. In truth, I didn't really mind Devani knowing that my breath would forever be baited, for the next one she drew. I think by then she had noticed the way I hung from her every word, heavens, Lyra had accused me of looking at her as though she hung the very stars in the night sky, enough times for me to know that the depth of my feelings was no secret. Despite my best efforts to be subtle, I think perhaps Devani could still feel my eyes on her face that night. For when it seemed as though we had plunged deeper into the quiet of the night than ever before, she caught me watching her out of the corner of her own eyes, and the softest smile I'd ever seen lifted itself into the corners of her lips. The water was so still, it seemed as though the world had stopped spinning. I remember Devani leaning over the side of the boat and dipping her index finger ever so gently into it. The moonlight rippled in rings upon the surface of the water out across the lake. It was as though she had poked a hole into the sticky silence of that night, and let in just enough air for me to draw the breath necessary to ask her. What are you thinking about? Too many things to put into words, she murmured. I might have pressed her, or changed the subject entirely, but I had time. We had all the time in the world for her to put the things she was thinking about into words. So I set my oars down and waited. The boat bobbed beneath us, and the silence reeled on around us. Fanny gazed out over the surface of the water, waiting for it to still once more, so that she could dip her hand into it again and watch the stars shimmer on the surface of the lake as the water rippled around us. It's quite overwhelming, she offered after a time. She didn't need to tell me what it was that she was referring to. Indeed, there was something comforting about knowing that sometimes. However good life had been, was, or would be in the future, the journey through it could feel like rather a lot to contend with for everyone. It meant a lot to me to know that I wasn't alone in having felt that way at times, especially back then when we were both still so much younger than we realized ourselves to be, and the path we were carving through life seemed to cut straight through the unknown. There are so many roads to travel, so many paths a person might take, How would anyone even begin to decide which one is meant for them? She finished. I didn't answer her. Tiffany didn't need answers from me. I think perhaps she just needed someone to listen. There was no melancholy coating her voice. Sadness tended not to drag at her heels. It seemed that she was on the cusp of some sort of realization, one she simply needed the time to think through and arrange into a thought, or rather a feeling, that might carry her through the next few chapters of her story. If it's of any consequence, Devani, I trust you. Sometimes even more than I trust myself, I confessed. I hope one day you can trust yourself as I trust you. Because I think if you did, then you'd know that you were on the right path. You'd trust that you'll always choose what is best for you. You know who you are, Devani. And it's one of the things I love the most about you." Silence fell around us, and breath by breath I watched her shoulders release. I convinced myself that I could hear the hum of her thoughts growing quieter before the noise of them petered out altogether. Can I tell you a story? I asked into the darkness. She nodded her assent, and I began, trying to bring her comfort the best way I knew how, by telling her a story that I had escaped into a thousand times before. This is one of my favorites, I began. I had my grandfather tell it to me over and over again when I was a boy. At a certain point I started to know the words and anticipate the way he would deliver them. I'll tell it to you now, just as it was told to me. I know my grandfather's version of this particular tale deviates a little from the original, but I've come to think that the best folk tales the ones that survive the ages, do so because people took a little creative license and told them in a way that their bairn could understand in a way that taught them something about how to muddle along the road of life. I mused, clearing my throat before I began. In the water, it's near impossible to tell the difference between a selkie and the ordinary seals you might find off the coast of Scotland's Shetland Islands. The rugged islands sit due north of the Scottish mainland, and though the island's population has remained low throughout the ages, back where our story begins, there were but a handful of small, simple fishing villages peppered across Shetland's coastline. Tales of the Selkie have been told across those parts for centuries, from Dublin, Ireland, to Scotland's Dundee, and right across the North Sea in Iceland, people have traded tales of the seals they saw transform into silver-haired women that danced upon the beaches by moonlight. It would be fair to assume that the Selkies made their home in the waters of the North Sea, where the temperatures were low enough to keep them comfortable in their seal coats all year round. According to legend, it was the moonlight that called the Selkies to the surface of the water and drew them towards land night after night. With the darkness keeping guard of their secret, the creatures would swim up the beach and step from their slick silver seal coats, transforming into what could only be likened to human women, with the same ease that one might unbutton a winter coat The selkies would dance on the beaches beneath the moon and the stars, as though it were what they had been put on earth to do. They say the creatures possessed a beauty as wild and untamable as the North Sea itself. So I imagine that in Shetland, where great hills roll in waves between the beaches and cliffs that border the islands, The Selkies felt right at home. In their human form, the Selkies' hair was rumoured to flow in silver tresses. Some say they danced as though the moonlight was thicker than we know it to be, heavy on their skin and slowing them down as they moved through the night. They would sway all night when they wanted to, and right before the sun rose, they would step back into their silver seal coats and disappear disappear beneath the breakers out at sea once more. I've always found there to be something rather beautiful, about the lives the Selkies led. They swam deep in the depths of the North Sea by day, and danced slowly with their toes in the sand by night. I think it stands as proof that there are different sides to us all, different interests, different likes, different loves. The myth and mystery surrounding them reminds me that there will always be more to learn about the people around us, I said, trying not to look at Devani, as though I had not made it my personal mission to know everything that there was to know about her. One fateful night, on a beach seldom visited by the island folk, a group of selkies stayed a little later than usual. The night sky had been clearer than it tended to be, and the stars seemed almost to dare the creatures to stay a little longer. The seas had roared all day long, that night, as they danced to the tune of the waves crashing on the cliffs around them, the Selkies couldn't help but linger above land. To their kind, there was truly no greater song than that of the ocean. A long day of stormy seas had chased the fish that lived in the water surrounding those parts far closer to shore than normal. Unsurprisingly, a keen fisherman had elected to stay late in the next cove, casting his net out after dark to catch as many fish as he could. He had just finished packing away his net, when he thought he heard footfall further along the coastline as he carried his hull home he made it his business to look in on the quiet cove that generally went ignored in the winter time when the sea was wilder and the waves broke further up the secluded beach his eyes opened wide, when between the rocks leading down to that quiet cove, he noticed three silvering selkies dancing upon the sands. He had, of course, heard whisperings of the women born to the sea, who danced across the sands at night, just to feel the evening air against their skin, just to know the moon and stars a little better. In awe, he watched them for hours. He could have sworn at one point one of the selkies caught his eye, spying him through a gap in the rocks when he had thought himself to be well hidden. She smiled at him. He felt the heat of her gaze on his face, and though perhaps her look should have given him cause to flee, he found he could only sit by, smiling back at her as he watched her move through the moonlight. The night wore on that way, and when the Selkies' friends grew tired and slipped back into their silver coats to disappear beyond the breakers, she remained. She didn't have to call out to him. Her gaze alone was enough to draw him nearer. He wandered down to meet her. And there, upon the silver sands, the fisherman and the selkie danced together. He had two left feet, and she got the sense that she would always be dancing to a slightly different beat to him. But what carried in the air between them couldn't be denied. It was that seldom found when searched for, soft and unexplainable thing true love. Marry me, he asked, breathless before her as the rising sun threatened to steal her away from him. Perhaps it was possible to be drunk on starlight alone, the sulky thought as she pressed the word yes against his lips in a kiss. Together they wandered back from the beach towards the fisherman's cottage. There, between its four walls they began to build a life together. In all the excitement of that night, the Selkie forgot the silver seal coat she would need if she were ever to swim in the North Sea again. Her fisherman was not so forgetful. The same night of their meeting, before day broke, and the coat was sun damaged forever. Her love chased back down to the beach to retrieve it. He did it for her. He braved the cold that crept across the hills between dark and daybreak because he knew how much the seal coat meant to her. It wasn't until he arrived back home that he began to worry if the selkie might one day choose the seas themselves over the man that fished from them. In his insecurity, the fisherman stowed her silver coat in a travel chest and hid it from her in the barn beside the cottage. Ignorance proved bliss for a time. The years passed happily. The couple was wedded in the village church, and two became four as the Selkie bore her first and second bairn. The Selkie loved her children, and she loved her husband even when the North Sea churned, and she could have sworn she heard it calling her home. When the Selkie's second child was grown enough to be hiding and seeking with his older sister, he stumbled across the Selkie's lost sealskin hidden in a chest where he had thought perhaps he might find his sister. It took all the might the boy could muster to lug the heavy oaken chest out of the barn and across the garden to the cottage. When he finally revealed its contents to his mother, he had never seen her smile so wide It was only then that the Selkie told her bairn of the life she had lived beneath the breakers. Though she thought it wrong for her husband to have kept her coat from her, she found that she wasn't angry. Fate had intended for them to meet, for her to learn to love and be loved. That night, the selkie ran down to the beach, following the silver moonlight across the hills and down to the cove where she first fell in love with the fisherman. She knew, even as she slipped her coat back on for the first time in years, That she would return to her family again and that she would forever chase fish into the fishermen's nets to make sure they stayed well fed. When she finally reached the water's edge, she dove into the ocean's embrace and felt it welcome her home after so long away. i finished, pulling my mind back to the present, and setting my eyes on Devani once more. My grandfather was a firm believer that life is about the journey, and not the destination. When I was young and still growing, he talked a lot about the way the Selkie transformed by the moonlight, I suppose he was trying to tell me that you don't have to be the person you were yesterday. You don't have to like or want the same things you did 10 years ago, or even 10 minutes ago. You just have to be true to who you are in the present, and trust that your instincts will always steer you right. I suppose, of course, there is another meaning that could be taken from the tale of the Selkie Bride. In truth, I had been away to boarding school and returned home with stories of my own to tell, before I was able to understand the second lesson my grandfather hoped to teach me with this particular piece of folklore. I was weighing up whether or not to go travelling and see the world or to stay the course with my studies when he insisted on retelling the tale. I think perhaps he meant to remind me that home would always be there for me. Even if I set out to leave it in my wake entirely it would always welcome me back if I needed it Selkie's decisions set her on a path leading far from the kind of life she had imagined for herself. And yet, she never regretted her choice. Selkie was happy and knew that every twist and turn her path through life had taken was worthwhile. She understood that, in the end, home would always be waiting for her if she ever felt called to return. I lay back into the hull of the boat and opened my arms to Devani. As she arranged herself next to me, and I felt her head come to rest on my shoulder, promised her that there are no wrong turns, you will always be exactly where you're supposed to be, headed for exactly where you ought to end up. As the boat bobbed beneath us, could have sworn I felt her smiling against my shoulder as my eyes closed and I drifted off to sleep.